0: If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call. Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online at slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. It is another J.C. and Morgan podcast. You've been wanting it. You've been clamoring for it, much like an expanded playoff. You one day we're going to get it, except it's going to be today instead of uh, three years from now. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. He's been busy. He's about to be even busier. With uh, recruiting coming up here in a couple of days. Uh, I am Mike Morgan, have been busy in a different way, just uh, calling games, calling games, football, basketball. Got a bowl game in a few days, the Cure Bowl, Coastal Carolina, America's team, the Mullets versus whatever Northern Illinois is, (laughs) the MAC champions, uh, as well as uh, some NFL on Sunday, and then uh, always staying busy on the musical front. And making differences in the lives of many children is uh, Michael Haney. I don't know what that means, but just sounded like a good introduction, Mike. You know, I, I, th- there was a time, Mike, when you saying that would have been a,
1: a joke, but <laughs> it's actually true. And I don't even have a comeback for, for anything like that. I, oh. I am curious, though, like for, for oh. JC, I mean, having an early signing period, like this in December was something uh, you know for those that don't know me I mean I I did sports radio for over a decade for a long time so I actually haven't been in the game on a day in and day out basis since the early signing period came in JC it's the first time I've had a a chance to ask you in a public setting where people are going to listen to this how has your life changed uh in the recruiting world of 24 7 sports with with December early signing period
2: well it's just all crammed into one month now and um you know you have some activity in January, but it's not like it used to be where it's like a gigantic stampede uh, to the first Wednesday in February. And you have guys flipping all over the place and setting up last minute visits and uh, all that good stuff. It, 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 it kind of hits a crescendo uh, in in December. And then, you know, for a couple of years, it's, it's pretty peaceful. I mean, I went on a week's vacation in January last year because I could and that was the first January since 2003 I think I've been able to do that so um, but you know the, the football gods uh, in our business have a way of, of getting you know getting back at you if you do things like that and with the transfer portal now <laughs> it's pretty much nonstop. Uh, you know even with early signing because you have a whole different pool of players uh, you have to track. It's like it's like free agency in, in, in pro sports. So uh, it gets a little busy, you know, because right now you have a lot of guys hitting the portal. Uh, quarterbacks in the portal are insane. Uh, right now, everybody wants a quarterback. Everybody's speculating. There's all these new coaching staffs, coaching moves. And, and you wait. The floodgates after this signing period's over are going to open, and you're going to see massive movement with coaching staffs. Um, what's kind of disingenuous about it is – there are guys that know they're leaving right now, but that are recruiting for their current employer. And so uh, that's going to be interesting and, and all that. And I know there's some proposals they've talked about, about moving signing day back to where it originally was. Um, and I wouldn't be too incredibly sad about that just because it would make my January a little more interesting, but um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it, it's uh, my, my, life has uh, become a lot more busy in December in terms of a day-to-day in front of a computer type of deal. Whereas uh, maybe back when I was kind of on the national circuit, before there was an early signing, what we were focused on right now would be all-star games, uh, a week off for Christmas. Uh, and then you hit the other all-star games around New Year's. And then it's about rankings for like a week. And then you get all that out. And then the stampede starts. Now it's, yeah. uh, it's just kind of busy
0: work um, all the time. See, this is where college football needs to learn and take a page out of the NFL. The NFL has managed to stay relevant nearly 12 months out of the year, right? Because the season ends, then the playoffs, Super Bowl keeps getting backed up deeper and deeper, now into February. Then you have uh, the Combine, which has become a televised event. And again, I, I always lump in college football fans with everything NFL because the great thing about college football compared to basketball there is no one and done you, you, you want to see if you're a South Carolina Gamecock fan, you want to see that guy that was with your team for three, four years, how they do at the next level. You, you want to see if you're a Michigan fan, you just had a defensive lineman who finished second in the Heisman trophy. You, you you're, you you're invested in that kid for the next 10 years when he's in the NFL. Cause every time he gets a sack at the next level, that is really good for the Mason blue. That's the beauty of, of football compared to, to basketball where there's, there's, not nearly the uh dare I say loyalty or continuity. But what the NFL does is they spread all that out. So then you got the combine, then you got the draft in April, and then you got free agency, and then you got preseason. We now in college football in December, it is just <laughs> sensory overload. Go back to what we are gonna start off this uh this podcast with uh courtesy of the Haney hot five. And that is, you know, championship Saturday, right? Uh, Alabama, Georgia should have been something that was talked about all week long incessantly. And look, it still was, I mean, I'm in Atlanta and, and, and obviously that's a, that was a big story. And and for a lot of SEC fans, certainly they were keeping their eyes on it, but it was co- It was completely overshadowed by what? Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly like that new that was the national news. We'll get to, we'll get to Atlanta when the game actually happens. But I, I, I want to talk about these major coaching changes and the money and, the, and power five juggernauts losing coaches to other power five juggernauts. Now we have, now we have a, a signing period about to happen. We've got, and you can add this to the, the, uh, the, the rundown Haney, the latest transfer portal quarterbacks, including Bo Nix of Auburn and other ones. All these, all these are just major storylines, but they're all happening in a condensed amount of time. Like we need to spread this out. We need, we need this kind of content. After the playoff is over in January, we need it in February. We need it in March. We can't just wait until spring football, which has become less and less relevant. So that's where college football misses the mark. Like I love the fact that it's an insane amount of news, which the three of us—I uh, mean, we all have uh, covered that in one way or another during our careers, and and we all know what it's like to have to fill twelve months out of the year content jC you more so on the website uh, side and and Michael you and I on the talk show side but now we, we just we just stuff it all in December <laughs> and then we like we're empty in in January so I don't know how to fix that uh obviously moving the signing period would be one thing
1: yeah well I, I mean that's I, one that's one thing that we can you know I did add it to the rundown and have it in there and we can we can have a, a much larger discussion on it yeah and- we
0: will We, 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 yeah, Yeah. we, we definitely will. I, I just, um, uh, and, and what I want might not be completely attainable, but I wish we could just spread all this out and give college football, uh, a little more relevance during the, the off season, because here's what, here's what I've learned over over time is that, you know, and Tim Tim Brando talks about this all the time. College football is insanely popular and has a major, major audience, But it's still dwarfed by the NFL. And and if you're doing a talk show or whatever on Monday, or if you're running PTI or, you know, one of the uh, talking head shows on ESPN or Fox or whatever, your number one, your number two, your number three storylines on Monday are almost always NFL. And I hate it because college football, unfortunately... Doesn't get the kind of national pub it deserves. That's why podcasts like this do very well, and I'm happy for that. But but I'd like to see college football be more in the forefront nationally. So anyway, I'm I'm just looking for the sweet spot uh, for college football. So let's mm-hmm. let's get started with that. And again, uh, apologize we weren't on last week. As always, I'll uh, I'll fall on the sword for that. Uh, a, a lot of uh, duties for uh, calling games, uh, kind of. Uh, put a halt to that, but we're all back now. We got lots of things to talk about, lots of things to catch up uh, to. And we're going to do that with the help of our fearless leader back in the music city, Michael Haney. All right. Well, uh, your wish is my command here, Mike.
1: You wanted to talk more, thought that it should get more uh, publicity. uh, The Alabama Georgia SEC championship game. Uh, You guys had a lot of thoughts heading into that. Um, But really (laughs) the, the uh, status quo, stayed, stayed true. Alabama just did what they always do. And they dominated in a big game and a big moment and solidified their place in the college football playoff. Your, your thoughts and feelings on Nick Saban, just doing what Nick Saban does and uh, pushing one of his assistants, his former
0: assistants back down and saying, Hey, you still got a few more tricks to learn there, Kirby. All right, JC, with your permission, I'm going to start things off remember we used to do our segments by the way the defcon segment which we used to do has been stolen by some national shows so I, i'm ah. it has it is absolutely been. i was listening to a nash a prominent national radio show the other day and they were doing defcon one defcon three defcon two um we don't do that as much anymore but i'm gonna i'm gonna take some some credit for actually bringing a war games reference into the podcast which has now been uh, in, in radio they say it's been borrowed but basically uh we like to think of it as stolen from jc and morgan uh but we also used to do a segment hits and misses and i always used to say i prefer to actually talk about the misses because it's it's not it doesn't make for good entertainment to just hear somebody bloviate about how they predicted something right nobody cares Okay, so uh, let me just say something I got wrong before I tell you how I nailed the SEC championship game. Uh, I thought UCLA was going to win the Pac-12 this year. Okay, egg on my face. Chip Kelly did not turn a corner. UCLA is still UCLA. I said it early on in the year. I was completely wrong, and I should be uh, publicly caned for making such a bad prediction. Okay? Now, let me temper that with uh, a little bit of braggadocious here. I didn't come right out. We didn't even do predictions per se, but there were two things that I thought were uh, very much integral to, to, analyzing the game. And that is this number one, Alabama was not going to get shook, right? And all this talk about Georgia had a generational defense. Uh, Georgia was the best team in college football, essentially from start to finish that, I mean, how many national people, Forget about a six and a half point spread. There's like, you can find YouTube clips of all these people that said Alabama doesn't have a chance. It's not going to be close. You know who you are. It's okay. Predictions can be wrong, but Holy smokes. I'm sitting here. Like, do you guys know what you're saying? Alabama was not going to be in awe of anything. And right off the bat, the fact that they're there every year and they know what it takes. And then you give to quote Nick Saban, some positive rat poison that scared me for Georgia. Number two, the other point that I brought up on our last podcast is that Georgia hasn't had any adversity all year long. They're not just beating people. They're beating the living doors out of them. So they don't know what it's like to be down 10 points in the second half. They haven't had that all season. They've barely been behind. And when they have, it's been early and it's been by one score. So this was, a, this was a recipe for an upset in Atlanta. Oh, by the way, uh, J.C., I think I've been consistent on this much. I'm a Bryce Young guy. Like, I am a fan of Bryce Young. And I told you, if he went ahead and balled out and Alabama won, you could just give him the Heisman right there. Don't even waste your time on tabulating the votes. And that's exactly what happened. The, the real key to the game for me was that Alabama had a leaky offensive line for much of the year that that has struggled at times against good physical teams. That's why so many people thought Georgia would win this thing and in some cases win it outright. Well, lo and behold, Alabama's front five blocked Georgia to the point where Bryce Young, although he's incredibly nimble, he was able to have time to make those deep throws down the field to Jamison Williams and others. And that was the key to the game to me. The other thing I'll say, uh, predictably, many people came right out. Well, Stetson Bennett, that's the reason why we lost. Oh, The good news is we can train uh, JT Daniels for the starting job in the playoff. We get get 30 days to do that. Okay, fine. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Stetson Bennett played great. He did throw for a career high over 300 yards. He had a terrible pick six. The other pick was not his fault. Tight end Bowers stopped the route. What I will tell you is... That's not what cost Georgia the game. What cost Georgia the game is that generational defense on five consecutive possessions gave up five scores, four touchdowns and a field goal. And that shook Georgia and they never recovered. And that is why Alabama is your champion. It's not because Stetson Bennett cost them the game. Georgia's defense cost them the game. Kudos to Alabama. Kudos to Nick Saban. They did it again.
2: Well, you know you, that game started, too, Mike. It looked like every other Georgia game this year. Georgia's up ten nothing. They go on like a a hundred yard drive against Bama's defense, and you're like, ah, it's just stop Bama's year, you know. <laughs> uh, and then the thing it changed, and uh, it, it, a, a lot of times this year, Mike, when we've watched Georgia play, I talk about their defense getting into rhythm, and I felt like it was very important for Bama's offense to get Georgia out of rhythm on defense. It sounds strange to say that about a defensive unit, because most of the time you think about rhythm, you think about offense, but it's that, that defense got into a rhythm this year and played. uh, It was was like a, it was like a symphony of destruction, if you will. (laughs) And uh, I felt like Georgia Bama had to do something to disrupt that. So it's 10, nothing all momentum is with uh, Georgia and boom, Bama counterpunched and you watch Georgia play a lot this year against your Arkansas of the world, Kentucky's and uh Floridas and teams like that. Very few, I mean nobody counterpunched against them. Clemson, that was their closest game in the opener. Clemson never really counterpunched, you know. Georgia kind of dominated the game defensively and that counterpunch, you could kind of tell, okay, here we go. All right, Bama's about to get in this rhythm on offense, going there uh Defensive rhythm off, uh, and, and keep in mind too. You know this defense, as good as it is, the scheme. Uh, and you see this with Alabama. You saw it at Tennessee. You saw it at South Carolina. You seen it. I saw it at Florida. Wherever somebody's trying to run Nick Saban's quote unquote defense, uh, many coaches have told me it's very complicated uh, in the back end, and so you have to have overwhelming talent and great talent, which Georgia does. But even with the great talent they have, it does bust from time to time. You know, you, you can find the holes just because sometimes there's a missed assignment, this, that, and the other. Uh, and and I thought Bryce Young, Bill O'Brien uh, probably benefited by practicing against this scheme every day. Uh, and they knew where the holes were. And once they found the holes and knocked that, the uh, apparatus <laughs> call it an apparatus cuz that's that's a that's a good way to describe Georgia's defense. He knocked them kind of off kilter. You're right, Mike. They had not faced adversity all year and, it, and and you could tell. You could tell, oh my god, here we go again. L- let me just let me just people call this a rivalry. All right, let me let me just say Nick Saban's first year Georgia won in t- in Tuscaloosa on a last second touchdown pass that Georgia team finished 11 and 2. Uh, Won the Sugar Bowl. Probably was the best team in the country by the end. Since then, Alabama's won seven straight. Only one of those wins has taken place outside of the state of Georgia, and that was last year during covid Uh, when uh, Bama won 41-24, the exact same score they won by Saturday. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been 41-30, 32-28, 38-10, 26-23, 35-28, 41-24 twice. Uh, Four of those games have been for championships, three SECs and a national. Um, So you start kind of looking at it, it's like, you know, man, this is is one of those uh, uh, things that that, that Georgia as a football program – has to get over. Now, here's the storyline. I do not think this is the first, the, the only time these two teams are going to meet this year. Yeah. I, I think they're going to get another shot in Indianapolis here in about uh, a little under a month. So mm-hmm. here's the storyline if you're a dog. Okay, you lost the SEC. So what? Now what? Okay, you, you got to go beat Michigan, and you, you got to go take another shot at Bama, and maybe the matchup's a little more favorable at that point
0: i uh I think the Georgia Michigan game is about a fifty 50 split. I think that's going to be clearly the highlight of the first two games with all due respect to Cincinnati. and you're right. I certainly wouldn't rule out Georgia in a rematch, but um again, if Alabama can block Georgia the way they did the first time around i I just don't see a scenario where they don't light up the scoreboard again. And I know that sounds insane considering how good that Georgia, and, and anyway, it says that Georgia defense is overrated, not overrated. When the NFL draft comes, you'll know how not overrated they are. When you're watching Jordan Davis, the Dean, and all that, when they're all drafted, um, you'll realize that there's plenty of talent on that defense. But what you'll realize is what I, you know, Morgan's law, JC, in college football, unlike in the NFL so much, an elite offense against an elite defense, it's lights out. Elite offense will, ha- will will outdo the elite defense 10 times out of 10. And that's what you saw on Saturday. Alabama finally turned into an elite offense, and they just picked apart Georgia's elite defense, which is not that elite in the secondary. Uh, we knew that going in, but, uh, but that front seven's elite. But Alabama blocked it, and those are all five-star O-linemen. Correct me if I'm wrong, J.C., Uh, For whatever reason, they underachieved early, but they figured it out at the right time of year, and that's bad news for the two teams they'll face in the playoff. Yeah, I don't think Cincinnati
2: has as much of a prayer, like hot take of the year. I don't remember who it was, but somebody – mentioned that Bama and Cincinnati was an even matchup that they had, they're just about the same and I'm like I don't I don't know what what sport you're watching maybe that's cute maybe maybe go tune in some more English Premier League soccer because you have I mean, you, you're just not this is it's not college football you're thinking about there they're not that not that much parody there no yeah, yeah. exactly so it's uh yeah. it's uh you know nothing against English Premier League soccer by the way I just uh some of these guys really like that and that's a sport're really passionate about and they shouldn't be writing about college football but anyway I aggressive <laughs> Uh, I think that, um, uh, you know, I, I'm with you, Mike. I mean, the line of scrimmage, It's a, the SEC is a line of scrimmage league, and if you really broke down the results of Southeastern Conference football games, uh, rarely do you see a team that does not win on either line of scrimmage win the football game. Uh, that's just kind of how it is, and yeah, you know, I mean, Bama's got some talented offensive line, and they struggled some this year. They couldn't run the ball. I mean, that was weird. I mean, it's weird, you know. And he, he, so you it, going in, you're kind of like, well, "How's Bama going to run the football?" And then they they were able to scratch that out, and then, and then Bryce Young, uh, best game he's played, uh, and, and he's been masterful in some games this year. But I thought once it started clicking, man, that that's just. That's hard to stop, and it, it's kind of like oh. you know, you, you know the New England Patriots a few years ago. Good on defense, uh, playing the Super Bowl against who? The Eagles. Uh, and the Eagles had the RPO going with Nick Foles and stuff, and 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 the mm-hmm. Patriots just could not stop them. Uh, I think by and large, through 16 games in the NFL and all that that year, Patriots defense was pretty salty, but they just could not stop the Eagles that one night and uh, got uh, got run over and run out. Um, well, and, and that's what it kind of reminded me of.
0: Yeah, one one last thing on this game. I know Michael's itching to get to the next subject. Um, Think about the last, what, five, six college football championships. We got three Alabama, two Clemson, and one Ohio State. Is that about about right? Uh, Name for me any of those championship teams that didn't have an elite receiving core that that's the other place mm. that, that that that's changing. Uh yes, Alabama and Clemson have had good running backs and Ohio State but you can't you just can't cover all those guys. It's 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 not a fair fight. I don't care how many five stars you have on defense. If you have a good quarterback and you have elite wideouts I mean, Alabama's losing a first round pick to an injury in the middle of games. That's okay. They got three more. And that's what Dabo's two title teams had. Heck, even Hunter Renfro, I watched him. Nobody could cover him in the NFL yesterday, the Ray. He had like 13 catches, and he was like the also ran walk on guy right? They're like, oh yeah, Hunter Renfro, uh, slow white guy. Let's be honest. That's what people, when they look at him, they think you can't cover him. And, and, and then you had all the other guys that they have on the outside, on the perimeter that are now in the NFL. And st- so and they are becoming wide receiver. You, like if you're going to be, if you're going to win a national championship with today's day and age and offenses, chances are you're going to have first round draft picks at wide out, not necessarily running back but at wide out and, and Alabama's got him. Good luck trying to guard and cover all those guys and then have, a, oh, by the way, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback.
2: Yeah, and people one more thing, tying it into recruiting quickly. People, folks, you want to know why Miami has been struggling and Florida struggles sometimes and Florida State struggles sometimes? Look, look at where Alabama's receivers, not all of them, but South a good Florida. many of them are from. And yep. think about if it were the 90s, where those kids
0: would have been going to school. Great point. That is that is very, very true. And for that matter, if I'm not mistaken, J.C., maybe one or two of those Ohio State wideouts came mm-hmm. from down south as well. Yes. So.
2: Ohio, Ohio State probably, if I were ranking them in college football, I, I think Ohio State's receivers are actually better than Alabama's this year. They just didn't have um, – you know, they probably just didn't have a supporting cast or Nick Saban or however you want to put it. But I I, I did think, uh, uh I, I did think from washing, watching them this year that uh, Ohio State's uh, group was impressive. But I mean, you're right. Even LSU in 2019,
0: Mike, when they broke free,
2: that was uh, gonna... the one. Well, uh,
0: th- those receiving. Court, oh, receiver. my goodness. So Jamar Chase, yeah, <laughs> who's caught two more touchdowns for the Bengals yesterday, and uh, 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 the guy for the Vikings uh, name just eluded me. Jefferson. Jefferson. I did. I just did one of his games a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, I mean, these guys are, they, you can't cover them in the NFL. How in the heck do you expect a, a 19, 20 year old college kid, college mm-hmm. cornerback to cover them in one-on-one situations? No chance. So yeah, LSU. I forgot. I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't have them on my list. They had elite wide receivers. I mean, their number three guy is going to be a first round draft. Like that's that to me really separate some of the really good college programs to the ones that are bringing home championship hardware. They have elite first round draft pick wide receivers on offense. And if you can flood them on each side, Defense can't match up. I don't care how good they are. Michael, that was way too long an answer. Please continue.
1: (laughs) Well, there's a few different directions that we could go after that to to tie it in. But I I think I want to try and piggyback off of the last thing that you're talking about and elite wide receivers and and where they came from and how they've been able to to build up. Um, We've spent so much time since I have joined the show discussing the coaching carousel, but there was none more. Uh, I guess, messy in public than what we saw last week with Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon to go to Miami, who is now hoping to use his recruiting abilities to keep a lot of those uh, elite wide receivers uh, back in the the Sunshine State and and down in South Florida. So, gentlemen, uh, just overall thoughts uh, on how Manny Diaz was treated uh, on his way out. I know there's no honor among thieves. It seems in the way that the, uh, the, the, way that he left temple, um, it was reminded uh, it was people reminded a lot of that uh, about that situation. When uh, Cristobal was announced, um, we've already seen Manny Diaz land on his feet uh, in, in uh, Penn state as defensive coordinator, but, Mario Cristobal uh, takes over uh, down in South Florida. And I, I tell you, the, the folks that are passionate about the U are as about as excited as they've been in a long, 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 long time. Your thoughts? JC, why
0: don't you take that one first?
2: Uh, as another caged animal hire, I mean, uh, Mike and I have sat here, we've discussed the U a lot on this podcast, and we've talked about the commitment financially that that institution has not made to keeping up with the Joneses. We just talked about uh, Alabama. And if you look at their, you know, Jerry, Judy, Calvin, Ridley, Amari Cooper, all South Florida kids, all stud receivers, all with Alabama. Uh, And it's hard. It it ends up being hard to recruit when you don't put on a, uh, a face that shows you're committed uh, to winning at the highest level. Now, uh, I think they got sick of these mediocre hires. I never thought Manny Diaz needed that job. Uh, never thought he was all that good. Uh, I thought thought they may be onto something with Mark Richt, and then uh, the bottom kind of fell out, and Richt had to retire. And you know, Al Golden was a was a mess. Uh, Randy Shannon was a little bit better than a mess, and then Larry Coker won a national championship and became a mess. And then you can't you can't just keep kind of recycling the old way. Uh, sometimes you got to go new, and, and if you can get a guy that's sort of new school, but who also has deep ties to your institution and understands, uh, you know what it takes to not only win at the highest level but to win there at the highest level, uh, that's a guy you got to go get. Unfortunately, I see many times that guy that's just sitting out there in a comfortable situation, and there's no way he's leaving. You know, unless you just pony up, and boy, did they ever. I mean, I, I never thought I'd see Miami fork out that much money. Uh, they promised him the biggest salary pool for staff members in the, in the, in the Atlantic Coast Conference, which means uh, more budget than Clemson. Um, they got Clemson's athletic director, Dan Radakovich, and Mike, you know him. And uh, yeah. I think we all know D-Rad, and we know he's a guy that's going to go in there and uh, get things done. Um, and and they hired Mario, which is the guy they, you know, when you, when you sat there and thought, who is the cage animal hire for Miami? It's Mario Cristobal. It always has been. Uh, and with the Manny Diaz thing, they took the, you know, Mario Cristobal wanted the job then guys, but they, we're going to pay it. You know, we're going to take the, we're going to take the easy way out and hire Manny a Florida state guy. So you said, Oh, well that went over. Um, you know, I, I I felt bad the way it was handled. It was kind of amateur hour, you know, in terms of uh, how it was handled publicly. But you, you have to people have to understand too. You, you have a school president down there that doesn't really even care about athletics. He's on the record as saying that, or he or she. I can't remember if it was a he or she,
0: but the, the, the president. It's a long time she. If yeah, I'm, if, 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 yeah. uh Shalala's still in charge there, right?
2: Nah, it's it's a new one. Shalala oh, she's gone. Gone. Yeah. It's oh, okay. New, I think it's a guy now. It is. Okay. Sorry,
0: Miami fans. I should have looked that up, but, uh, but don't, pres- f- don't feel bad. I thought it was still Shalala's <laughs>
2: the, pres- the president's been on record as saying, Hey, I'm not really like a, an athletics person, but you know, one thing they did do well So you had him and some other people tried to figure it out. Some things were going to leak. I mean, you didn't have a savvy AD in there doing anything. Uh, Cause they actually hired crystal ball before they hired um, There There's just a lot going on, but you know, sometimes athletic programs like save universities academically. Sometimes it works in the opposite direction. And here's my understanding as to what happened. In addition to some very famous people who love Miami donating more money, uh, I guess they invested in some sort of hospital or something down yeah, there created it, it, Miami health or something. And uh, it's,
0: it's the Miami's U Health system, which yeah. made more than $400 million in profit last year. So apparently, and I just learned this talking with uh, I had an interview on, on another show with Mark Schleybaugh. I had no idea because you mentioned caged animal syndrome. And, and look, they've wanted to win at Miami for a while, they just haven't had the money. And, you know, L- Luther Campbell of Two Live Crew only writes so big a check. So apparently, Miami's administration had been unwilling to allocate funds to the athletic department instead leaving it to cover all the expenses of its own. But the success of Miami's U health system, again, made over 400 million in profits last year, uh, has become now part of the cash coffers for athletics. because you think about it, they they threw eight million dollars at Cristobal. Uh, they got $9 million uh, – I'm sorry, $8 million to buy out Manny Diaz, $9 million to buy out uh, Cristobal at Oregon. And then that's not even including all the coaches. And, oh, by the way, you just poached an AD from a, a prominent Clemson program. This is the kind of money the other Miami leadership has never had to spend. So it's not just that they were thinking about you know small fish or small game hunting they finally have the the money that I've always been told from people that I know around that program. Hey, we don't got it. I mean, we can't compete with the sec programs. We can't compete with Clemson. We can't compete with Texas. All of a sudden they're dipping into, of all things, the healthcare funds to, uh, to get back into big time college football.
2: Yeah. And, and, and look, that's, uh, that's fine. <laughs> you know, some, because some, it works both ways sometimes. and, having a great football program at Miami will help, uh, also bring money in. Um, you know, you sort of worried about them, you know, you, you're worried, will they ever get back? And, uh, cause it, it is unique. It's not a, uh, big state school that has thousands of alums and, 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 and gets 80,000. It's kind of Miami, you know, it's its own thing. And so, you know, I was happy to see that. Um, uh, I can't believe we're sitting here with like three different uh, uh, cage animal hires, though, uh, this
1: offseason. So that's uh, that's kind of different. And guys, it's uh, it's president. Julio Frank uh, is now the president of the University Julio of, of Miami. And and to your point about the, the money, guys, I, I I did see an article leading up to the Cristobal hire um, that, that quoted him. Uh, back in the day of, of saying, I mean, it's no secret that Miami's facilities are, are crap. I mean, I, I, had a personal experience going there. I had a, a one of my best friends work, worked in the sports information department in Miami under Larry Coker. And I went to go visit and I said, wait a second, this is the place, this is the place this won all those national championships. This is guys come here and they, wow. Uh, because I was told that you got to have like the ice cream machine and slides and video games and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but Cristobal, was quoted uh, uh, a while back as saying that he enjoyed uh, his time at Miami because the guys that came there, they relished being in bad facilities. Like it almost, it it gave them an edge. Like it felt like that they like players with a little bit of a quote dog in them because they didn't feel like they had to be pampered. And that, that helped them uh, that helped the product on the field. So I, I just found that to be an interesting mindset Uh, especially now that he's going to be the man in charge with all of this uh, flush with cash uh, situation right now at the U and going from the best
2: facilities in the country to yeah,
0: Miami, to Miami. But again, uh, now all of a sudden there is money there. So, uh, and you've got a president that clearly uh, in Mr. Julio Frank, uh, who is, is willing to, to cash in. There's always been prominent boosters from the university of Miami uh, people that actually went to the school, unlike most UM fans. Um, and now you've, you've got this, this hospital money coming in again, $400 million profit last year. Like that's no joke. I don't know how much of that they're willing to pay on all these buyouts and everything. One last thing on the subject for me, I, I saw a lot of people um, pointing out that the way they uh, treated Manny Diaz was disgraceful. And and look, I don't, I didn't like it either. I thought it was unfair to Manny. Manny's Manny's a good dude. Um, uh, he is, he's a class act and probably deserved much better than he got. I mean, it was basically like, yeah, yeah. Stay over there in the corner. And if everything else falls out, you're our coach, but we clearly don't want you. But the truth of the matter is guys, that goes on all the time. Just the timeline is better, but this goes on all the time. And, and we are now at a point in college football where you just can't you can't pretend that you're really appalled or shocked when coaches leave programs at a certain time or for a certain job in a certain manner that's just the way it's done and anybody who's been in the corporate business world knows it can be just as ruthless there so let's let's not pretend college football is any better or any more ethical when it comes to this kind of stuff I'm at the point now, nothing really surprises me. The one that surprised me again, the the, the Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, those two moves, those kind of surprised me. Uh, those kind of caught me off guard. I don't think I'm going to be caught gar- off guard again, guys, because now I truly believe that everybody is always looking for something a little bit better. And to say that there's no loyalty, that's never been there anyway. But now the, they can always find an extra couple million uh, out there, and and when you got the leverage that these guys have, they move mountains, and we've seen a lot of mountains move here in the last couple of weeks.
1: No question, and uh and one of them, uh JC, you just mentioned uh, a name in an administrative role, and Dan Radikovich leaving Clemson after a number of years uh, to take the same role uh, down in Miami, and obviously what he was able to do as an athletic director at Clemson, especially with the football program, you know, it speaks for itself. Uh, for the uh, the on field product and the money that's been been put there, but what a uh, a model of consistency Dabo Swinney's uh, staff has been uh, there in Clemson. Uh, he's not had a lot of turnover at all, uh, outside of you know Chad Moore, Billy Napier, Chad Morris said there early on firing Kevin Steele, uh, but those are the moves that led to the success on the field for Dabo and his uh, and his program. So my question now, as we dig a little bit deeper in, into the upper tier of the ACC right now, it, it seems like we expect a rise in Miami under Mario Cristobal. Is this the, the turning, uh, turning point where we see a, a Clemson program uh, start to slide back a little bit now that we've seen Brent Venables leave and take a head coaching job at Oklahoma, Tony Elliott leave and take the head coaching job uh, at Virginia? which one of those guys is going to be harder to replace. So loaded questions here about what it means for the future of Dabo Swinney uh, and Clemson uh, with now three seismic moves from his AD and both of his main coordinators taking off.
0: Okay. For me, this one's a no brainer. Um, Again, I know Dan Radakovich had for 20 years world of respect for him. He got his master's degree at Miami Uh, I don't want to say it's coming back home. He's not from Miami per se, but he does have ties to the school. Good for him. He's, he's outstanding at what he does, but let's not forget uh, he didn't hire Dabo Sweeney. Uh, What, what so many ADs now are really brought in to do is fundraising is, is taking uh, so much of your time and meeting with big wigs and raising money for new facilities uh, and, and new initiatives to improve X, Y, and Z every so often, every few years, you have to hire a football or a basketball coach and you hope you get it right. But as we talk about so much on this podcast, even that's a crap shoot, but Dabo Sweeney was, was hired on a fluke by the previous AD who used him as an interim, did not plan on keeping him, And, and before you know it, uh, he builds, and I would point out, in today's day and age, I don't even know if Dabo would have kept his job because Dabo Sweeney loses to in-state rival South Carolina, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five consecutive years. That'll get you fired almost anywhere else in any other situation. Uh, but they, they saw something they, in Dabo. They stayed the course and he built a power out of virtually nothing because, I mean, they were just swimming along in mediocrity under Tommy Bowden and Tommy West and everything else. Offensively, uh, Tony Elliott, JC, you've sung his praises many times. I think Tony Elliott is a fine coach. But Tony Elliott this year, without a bunch of first-round NFL-wide receivers, with a shaky offensive line and a a blue-chip quarterback that didn't look blue-chip at all, that was an offense that was really lackluster. The guy they're going to miss the most is Brent Venables. Because Brent Venables is someone who has just out-schemed folks for a long time, has built an identity at Clemson on defense that wasn't there when he took over and turned it into one of the scariest defensive units year in, year out in college football. Everybody has wanted Brent Venables, not everybody, but he's had several suitors for many, many years. And the answer has always been, no, thank you. I'm comfortable where I am. Now, all of a sudden, they finally got him to leave. So to me, uh, you, you can find a good offensive coordinator. They're out there. As long as you've got the weapons to let him play with, the offense will get back. There's good ads out there that will. You know, if you got a Dabo Sweeney, quite frankly, you stay out of his way and you just try to build around him. But defensive coordinators like Brent Venables, I don't know. I think that's a pretty tough one to replace.
2: Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to kind of track guys because, um, you know. <sighs> Dabo's going to promote from within again. Um, Now, he hired Venables when he fired Steele, but, uh, you know, that was an outside hire. But Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott were internal promotions after Chad Morris left on offense. And, you know, the word I get is uh, analyst Wes Godwin, uh, who is kind of, uh, they, they, he's kind of the money ball guy for Clemson. He, he tracks the the plays and stuff from the booth and all that talented guy. I hear he's getting defense. And then on offense, they're going to promote Brandon Streeter, who was the OC for the, uh, the, for the game against Ohio state last year in the semis, uh, along with Kyle Richardson, a former yeah. high school coach, who's a really smart guy. um, Uh, Look, if you're Dabo, uh, you have kind of gone the opposite direction of of everybody else. You know, Nick Saban loses coaches. He goes to NFL, college, wherever, uh, gets the best coaches he can find, plugs them in, and away they go. And Alabama's had a lot of turnover. That's not the way it is at Clemson. Clemson normally promotes from within. Uh, In fact, most of their staff either has a direct line to Clemson or Dabo's days at Alabama. And that's going to continue. So... Uh, you know, if you're Clemson, you're hoping Dabo's got the Midas touch and, and the guy can just continue to, you know, have great coordinators. Because Dabo, as we found out, it's not a coordinator. He, he's not a guy that can step in. You know, that the bad year they had in 2010 under him, the Napiers last season, you know, there were some times where he would try to step in. It's, that's not his gig, you know, there. Uh, and so if you're Clemson, you're, you're just kind of hoping he continues to have the Midas touch. Uh, I think it makes the Cheez-It Bowl against Iowa State even more interesting if you're a Clemson fan. Uh, and, and then, you know, they've lost some commitments in recruiting. You know, they've been very hesitant to hit the portal. Uh, I think they're going to have to, obviously, and I think they will. But uh, it's uh, it, 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 I don't think it's at a crossroads necessarily, guys, as much as it's, it's like, okay, it's sort of intermission. What's going to happen in the second act? Uh, with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, because the architect of a lot of the off the field stuff they did, Thad Turnipseed is gone. He went to Oklahoma with Venables. I don't. Everybody kind of thinks that's a huge loss because he's very instrumental in building. But but that thing's built. Okay, he, he's kind of the foreman and got the construction done, and now he's going to go help Oklahoma do it. So I don't necessarily see how you know that's a big loss. I, I agree with Mike. Uh, depending on how the offense pans out because they're, they're going to keep running the same system. Uh, but if you notice Brent Venable's coaching, uh, he's a, he's a motivator. He's a guy that sits there on the sidelines signaling and reads the defense, you know, and it, sometimes the play clock's down to four and he makes that last call. Now, obviously somebody's up in the booth, helping him with that. And that person's going to be calling it now, but you know, is that, can you replace that? To me, he, in a lot of ways, Venables is kind of Steve Spurrier defense. The guy's just going to sit there, dissect you from the sidelines, uh, and beat you up. Um, you know, so I I don't know how you just automatically replace that. Uh, if you're Clemson, Clemson's still going to be very talented, uh, on both sides of the ball moving forward. But, uh, to me, if you're looking at like is Tony Elliott or Brent Venables the bigger loss? I, I just I think it's Venables just because of the the special nature of, of his ability on game day.
1: Yeah, and and I guess this might be a little harder to to answer, but just in terms of optics, these are great opportunities for Venables and, and for Tony Elliott, but for Dabo losing both of these guys in a quote unquote. Down year. I mean, you know, their season would still be considered a massive success by the vast majority. But obviously, their their recent years. Uh, this is a down year for Clemson. But when you lose those uh, those two roles uh, because they're seeking better opportunities in a year that was not your best, what what does that say about where things currently stand and where they could potentially stand for you moving
0: forward? Well, I think the biggest fear for for Clemson is, has has got to be okay. Any any Clemson fan over the age of I don't know twenty five remembers what Clemson was before Dabo. remembers what Clemson was after Danny Ford in nineteen eighty one and before Dabo got it going. As I mentioned, after a you know a stretch where it was not all gravy for for Clemson football under Dabo Sweeney. And you know you you watch some other programs as I mentioned on the last podcast. It is. A lot easier to fall from grace than to get there in college football. In other words, you get the feeling like there's only about a dozen programs that can get to the level where they're even in a playoff contention consistently and make a playoff, you know, once every five years, twice every seven years. We only have so many of those kind of programs right now in college football. And so you feel like if you're not one now, it's going to be real hard to to enter that distinguished room, but it's not that hard to use a uh, slide analogy since Clemson's famous for having one to to slide down the ladder and fall from grace because we've seen Texas do it. Uh, You know, we've seen Florida do it. We've seen Florida state do it. We've seen Miami do it. We've seen Southern Cal do it. It's a lot easier to be one of those, bell cow blue blood programs and fall than it is to go from tier two or tier three and just climb up the ladder to tier one. So if, if you're a Clemson fan, and you're being really honest about it. I'm sure that has to go through your mind. Like, okay, a couple things are happening here. Uh, we, first we had a down year. Second, uh, we're finally watching the mass exodus of staff people like happens at every other program. But most of them are not Alabama Nick Saban, like JC pointed out. And it's just like, oh, that's okay. We'll just, we'll go ahead and we'll crap out another one. And, and, and <laughs> just before you know it, there's another blue chip coordinator and then he'll get a job and so on and so forth. That doesn't, that's not reality for everybody else. And then, you know, the, the other thing is that I've always said this. I never thought the Dabo rumor, rumors to Alabama were nearly as legitimate uh, as Dabo to the NFL. And as we watch urban Meyer continue to just completely (laughs) fall into his own, uh, tornado of, of problems created by himself. uh, there's, that's not the way elite coaches and successful people look at things like, well, urban's failing. So therefore I shouldn't try it. No, 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 no. You got egos out here. They look at it the way, the way uh, Jimmy Johnson looked at it. Yeah. The others failed, but I'm going to make it. I'm not going to be urban Meyer. I'm not going to be Steve Spurrier. I'm going to do what Jimmy Johnson did and win two super bowls and Dabo's taken a lot of crap. Quite frankly, the last couple of years, Uh, there are national media members, JC. I've, I've said this before. I'm convinced that don't like Dabo as a person. Uh, Maybe they don't his overall viewpoint on things. If we learned nothing from the pandemic, uh, yeah. A lot of national media writers in college football are lead with their political uh, basis more than they really have a passion for writing about college football, and that uh, that reflects their opinion on virtually every person in the sport. Uh, so Dabo rubs a lot of people the wrong way in that respect. Dabo can rub people the wrong way in other respects, and sometimes people just get impatient. Uh, even in his own fan base where it's like, well, yeah, we expect to be in the playoff every year. What the hell is this? Mm. So, so that's out there too. Like all of a sudden you're starting to hear more and more. Like I wouldn't, I, I listen to a lot of NFL experts, not just college football. That wouldn't be surprised if, if he was the next college football coach to throw his hat in the ring. A lot of people thought it was going to be Lincoln Riley. Well, obviously Lincoln's not going anywhere. Uh, so if if you're a Clemson fan and you're being honest about everything, yeah, there's just be a little bit of concern because you don't want to fall off that pedestal. You're only, there's only room for a few teams in college football that have that continual entry for a college football playoff virtually every year. Then if you miss it one year, well, then you know you're back the next. That's how Clemson was rolling. They were rolling with the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the Oklahomas. Now, all of a sudden, do you take another step back next year, or do you get the train back where you you dominate the ACC, which you would think is going to be better, uh, and you get back to the playoff? I, I that's a, a legitimate concern.
2: On Dabo in the NFL, uh, you know, he, he went out there and visited the Raiders, and and I, and I think a lot of people didn't realize there's a Hall of Fame event in Las Vegas that just about everybody in college football was at. So. Not a biggie there. You know, uh, he was just out there. And Clemson has, I think, three guys on the Raiders roster, including Hunter Renfro. Uh, But that job is open. And so people kind of started looking at it and uh, all that. And, uh, you know, uh, until Thad Turnipseed left. And and for those of you that don't know, Thad Turnipseed is kind of their – external operations guy. Uh, He's credited with a lot of the infrastructure stuff that, uh, that um, uh, Dabo uh, has created since he's been at Clemson facilities, things like that. Uh, uh, People started to get worried because that guy is like a Dabo lifer, you know, and he's gone. And so the one thing that was told to me that I thought kind of was interesting was if Dabo really were going to the NFL, and that was kind of a foregone conclusion, Tony Elliott probably does not take Virginia because Tony Elliott's the next coach at Clemson. Mm. And that made sense to me. Now, yeah, look, you never know what's going to happen though. I mean, maybe, maybe Tony Elliott wasn't going to guarantee he would get the job at Clemson because they're right now Clemson doesn't have an athletic director. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to go to Jeff Scott or maybe it's going to go to somebody else. But it's, uh, you know, it, 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 other than that, there have been signs. And, and, and you know, Dabo's comment about college football has got a lot of problems right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll figure it out in a few years. So if you're him, I, I think it would be much easier if your dream is to coach at Alabama one day to go to the NFL for a few years, kind of like Ray Perkins. Remember Ray Perkins? Oh, yeah. Went to the Bucs. Went to the Bucks, came back to Bama. Uh, rather than walking away from what you built at Clemson, uh, you know, you're more walking away from a pro deal uh, than, than, you know, Clemson where you built it. But, uh, you know, so, so I don't know, I, I'm kind of, it wouldn't completely shock me uh, once the NFL coaching carousel, cause you know, the Browns have thought about hiring him. The Jaguars have thought about hiring him, you know, maybe the Raiders like him. He's well liked. People don't realize that he, he's well liked in NFL circles, but um, you know, maybe he, maybe the, if there's a time, it's right for him to take the challenge. Uh, you would think it would be now while you know, it's like the it's like St. Elmo's fire. You know, everybody's leaving. Remember the, the
0: scene in St. Elmo's fire at the end? You know, oh, wow. We like, need I, I, I Jack Parr to start coming in with the theme song. And dun, dun, Demi Moore uh, shivering inside of an empty room with, with Rob Lowe pounding on the door. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> more Brad pack uh, movie flashbacks on the next uh, JC and Morgan. Uh, I, I just want to c- close it out with this. Uh, th- 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 we're not, we're not throwing out rumors or, or anything like that. That's not what we do here. I'm just telling you, and I don't ex- I expect Dabo to be the head coach in, in 2022, but I'm just telling you that I, I think you're going to hear more and more of that. Cause as you mentioned, JC, he is liked at the next level. Uh, he is respected. Uh, it's not, it's not, um, you know. I listen to the Paul Feinbaums of the world, and and they are quick to kind of jump on on Dabo and and Clemson having an off year. But people that really know what Clemson was when he took that job and what he built, the people that in the know that make those kind of hires, they're well aware. Like they're well aware. There's not many people that could have taken that Clemson job and did what he did. Mm-hmm. So. He, I'm not saying he's unhappy. I'm not saying I'm just, he could be the happiest guy in the world. A lot of guys have been happy where they are. And then all of a sudden somebody comes with a, a BBD, a bigger, better deal. And when that bigger, better deal comes, and maybe it's a confluence of things, maybe they have another off year, maybe there's more defections, Maybe they don't have back-to-back generational quarterbacks like they did with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, maybe I took this as far as I can take it. And I got to at least listen to other offers. Just saying, I, like I said before, like I said, 10 minutes ago, I'm not going to be blindsided and surprised again. Like I was with Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. And to me, anything is on the table these days with these coaches and this amount of money that is being thrown at them on a semi-regular basis, if you have a, a certain amount of success. Yeah, and Mike, honestly, I think for the first time in a while, well,
1: for really for the first time ever, honestly, in college football, and maybe one of the problems that Davos had mentioned about, uh, one of the problems with college football right now is uh, the transfer portal. Players have now uh, the ability to come and go as they please. And it's sort of Pandora's box gentlemen. We we don't really know it's, it's there. It's, it's available for the players. I think it's a great thing in concept for the players. But Mike, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, everything's kind of crammed into once your head, head is spinning uh, when it comes to transfer portal news. As you mentioned uh, JC, it's it's not just that you're following recruiting. Now there's a whole other pool of, of players like guys that, that you had followed in their high school careers. Now you, you got to follow them through their college career and see where they're going to end up as well. But Uh, the transfer portal news is, is coming in hot and fast. Uh, I mean, just, just the latest, I mean, Southern cows quarterback is in the transfer portal. Bo Nix from Auburn is going to tank Bigsby big time running back is now leaving uh, Auburn. I have a a thought on that one, by the way, but But, go ahead. But just, but just gentlemen in, uh, in the grand scheme of things, my personal feeling is of course, I want players to be able to have the ability like coaches do to, if they want to make a move and find the right situation, they have the autonomy and the ability to go and do that and to find a situation that's going to be right for them. But like anything too much of something can be a bad thing. So where do we start to find the balance? And was it such a big thing to give players their right that now we're looking at, how do we put this genie back in the bottle? Like, do you, Uh do you even bring in a, a level of, uh, of, of well let's just say a, a transfer period where you've got a you've got a bit like the signing period you've got a two-month window right now where if you want to leave you can leave and after that you can't to where it's not just you know you wake up in the morning at 3 a.m to go get a glass of water and suddenly whoa some former five-star decides he's going to go somewhere else this is crazy, yeah, it, it uh, is where, crazy. Where, where do we go with the future of this transfer portal
0: well i'll I'll just say this jc i first off i don't think that genie's going back in the bottle i and if the NCAA and the people that run college football specifically were smart, rather than fighting like hell to deny NIL, which was a runaway freight train that was not going to be stopped, and it's here, and quite frankly, uh, now you've had a few programs already, including Miami. That, that whole $500 a month deal with every player, the the, the gym, mm. kickboxing, whatever, uh, already the, the NCAA is looking at that. And there's been a couple other schools that have raised some eyebrows with their deals because essentially, as I as I said, it would be, it's going to become pay for play. Um, we can call it whatever we want to call it. But, but rather than fight that, what they should have done is said, look, we're with you. We want you to make the most you, that you can, just like any other walk of life. So NIL... We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna implement it, we're gonna regulate it. It's not gonna be the wild wild west, but you young men now can profit off your name, image, and likeness. Okay. However, uh just like any other business, there is a level of commitment when you take a job. And if you don't honor that level of commitment, sometimes you pay the price. So we're not doing a one-time transfer where you don't have to sit out or there's no repercussions of any kind. Because what that's really doing Uh, It's causing everybody to say, well, athletes have their rights. The athletes have their rights. Um, It's now what it's causing is a situation where there's so much underhanded background and and coaches trying to poach players and give them bad advice and, and so on and so forth. And every player that wakes up in a bad mood over a game or playing time or the coach yelled at me, uh, I'm not getting my touches. I'm not getting my, this, but my th- we're now seeing this all over the place where it's, it's more than free agency in professional sports. I mean, it is rampant. So I, I if the NCAA could have had a mulligan, they would have said, stop fighting NIL and fight this. If you're going to fight anything, because this really, I think JC can, can have some damage on the overall, uh, essence of college athletics. I mean, we, we are treating this now like everybody's just an un, unrestricted free agent every year, every second of the day, they're an unrestricted free agent. Like in pro ball, you're signing a four-year contract, I'll, you know, kind of like a scholarship. You're signing it Well, in college ball. You just, you change your mind whenever you want there. There's, there's no level commitment. So of course there's, you've got negative recruiting and opposing coaches trying to steal players from other teams. I don't think it's good at all for college sports, but the genie is out of the bottle and I don't think it's going back in. I think basketball
2: is going to be the wild. wild oh, It's already here. West. I mean, yeah, cause there were, there can was I just was... tell
0: you something? I, I, I did a game Saturday, JC, uh, Texas, A&M, TCU, okay. SEC school, big 12 school, uh, Buzz Williams and, uh, Jamie Dixon, who was a long time pick coach. You get 13 scholarship players on a roster. Okay, so there's 26 scholarship players in that game that showed up at that arena in Houston, neutral floor. 18 of the 26 were out of the transfer portal. Hmm. Think about that. 18 of the 26 guys just got plucked out of the transfer portal. Jamie Dixon told me point blank, Jamie Dixon in all those years at Pitt had one transfer his entire time. He He believed that what you do is you recruit kids, you develop a foundation, you groom them, you develop them, you turn them into a, uh, to, to better players, and you develop a program. He says you can't win anymore doing that. You now have to constantly recruit other coaches' players if you're going to survive in college basketball. And I think that's where we are in college football. I, You know, basketball, definitely. F- football, here, here's what's going to be
2: interesting, because in football the numbers are bigger, right? And mm-hmm. I think with quarterbacks, You can go ahead, Mike, and and you love quarterbacks. I love quarterbacks. I think they're so critically important. Um, I think it's going to be just like college basketball. You're going to see a guy starting for one team and things are going well, and then they fall apart and maybe get beat out or have an injury, and then somebody takes their place and they get Wally pipped and they're somewhere else the next year. I mean, Bo Nix, Mr. Auburn, you know, from the time that kid started as a true freshman against Oregon, I was like, it's Patrick Nix's son. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. the all time Auburn great. he's, he's out now, you know? So I, uh, I think with quarterbacks it's that way. I, I think with some other positions, um, the numbers, you look at the portal last year and, and I was told this by a coach. So, uh, somebody can correct my math. Um, 20% of the, the player, football players in the portal stayed on the level they were at or went up a level. Okay. Uh, and then 70% ended up having to drop down a level, and then 10% did not get picked up at all. Yeah. So 80% of the football players in the portal have to either drop down to group of five, F, FCS or whatever, uh, or they don't get any other opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as we collect data on this, if it continues to trend in that direction, it's going to kind of be funny because some of the people that were clamoring, you know, the uh, college football players are exploited crowd <laughs> uh, and they're crowd clamoring for everything. because they, they, And, and they, don't, they don't really think about, they don't, they don't really care about the sport. It's just about, you know, p- p- uh, pushing their agenda. I mean, there are people that support stuff like this that do care about the sport, but by and large, a lot of the media members that were really militant about this, uh, well, why can't they do this? Well, why can't they do that? Well, um, you know, because, uh, you know, here's what's going to happen. And, and and it's actually going to come back and blow up in the face of the players because we were at a point in college football where, you know, you didn't really run guys off anymore. Uh, all right. scholarships were guaranteed four years at most schools in the Power Five. Uh, you know, they kind of shut all that down. And so it was a really good deal for the players. I mean, you know, even if you're not that good. You uh, you end up um, you end up staying on scholarship, and getting an education. Well, now because in the interest of you know uh, not being exploited, whatever that means, uh, there's going to be guys that just make horrible decisions. Uh, And end up blowing an opportunity, not only on the football field, uh, but uh, in their lives. And so, uh, it's going to be interesting to see once we get data on that. Um, If if players become more reluctant, um, I'm I'm also interested in seeing like you know double transfers because in basketball that happens a lot. But uh, I, I think that you know right now it's sort of one of those things where you know, everything's just sort of up in the air. And if you're a coach, you, you got to be sitting there wondering, man, like, look, I'm getting, you know, his coaches are getting fired so quickly too. You're like, I'm going to have to build the program year to year now. You know, you, there, there's no let's sign two, three good recruiting classes and redshirt everybody. And then by the time they're seniors, man, we can contend. Uh, there's none of that anymore. I mean, because you're, you're just constantly dealing with uh, transition and attrition and all that good stuff.
1: Michael Haney. All right, I didn't. I thought <laughs> you might have had something else to add to that, Mike. I, I feel
0: thought. like time is is uh, you know time uh, is, of the, is essence, of the essence. And I, right now, right and now, I didn't want to. I didn't want to take it too much farther.
1: Well, I I understand that, and um, it is fascinating to think about where this is all going to lead, and uh, and just how the game is going to evolve uh, with all of these uh, things in place. And you know, again, curious to see how it all. Uh, Plans out there are plays out. But one thing that I was very disappointed about in terms of the future of the game itself, uh, even though I know eventually we will get there, in my opinion, uh, but we did have the the playoff committee uh, speak. Um, this past weekend thought that we might get uh, some actual news that, Hey, guess what? We're going to move to a 12 team playoff and it's going to be happening in 2023. Uh, so next year is going to be the last year that we're going to be debating about that number five team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, several years ago, it was, it was LSU and Alabama playing each other for the BCS title. That was the, the final spark that saw the BCS system uh, fall and, and in favor of the playoff. Um, I thought that we would get that again (laughs) after getting Georgia and Alabama uh, in the 14 playoff uh, that immediately there would be the the push the following week to get things uh, changed. But gentlemen, uh, it's going to be at least January until we hear the playoff folks speak again. Uh, Essentially what we got was, eh, we don't all really agree on what it should be. So we're just going to come back. Uh, Essentially you've got the Alliance folks that want some version of six or eight teams and you know for the sec it's essentially we're keeping it four or we're going to 12 uh, and and anyway nobody can seem to agree on what exactly they want um, obviously the sec has the leverage we all know that uh, in, in spite of uh, what the rest of the college football and, and college sporting world want the sec has has got the leverage in this particular sport here so your thoughts and feelings on uh, when exactly we will see uh, the the championship of college football decided by more than a 14
0: playoff. That was a doozy of a question. Um. (laughs) It it was a doozy. indeed that ever my that's that Not was the like me, but, the league for nothing folks <laughs> that, that was me before i purchased uh, google maps trying to find my way home from a remote spot yeah it, never necessarily a straight line but eventually i would get there i oh, uh, me for a long time <laughs> so I straight line <laughs> that was uh that was a question only jay phillips could be proud of uh inside joke anyway the um the uh, I, I got to say this too on the hits and misses. I just thought of something else I, I missed. I uh, and and JC raised his eyebrow, which I, I knew he was surprised I said it when I did. I thought Cincinnati was was not going to make the playoff a month ago. Well, a couple things happened. Oregon, of course, lost. They they I mean, whenever they played Utah, Oregon looked as if they were a Division three team. Uh, and the other thing that happened, I do think I was one yard away from being right. It had Oklahoma state got that fourth down. And I would have loved to have seen this for Noah. This is not anti Cincinnati. It's not anti group Five. It's a great story. Kudos to Cincinnati. Kudos to Luke fickle. I'm a fluke fickle fan, but if Oklahoma state wins that game, a one loss, big 12 champion, I'm telling you, I think that committee was going to take them over cincinnati and i will believe that till the day i croak okay um in, in terms of the latest on the on the playoff thing look I, we're, we're getting to 12 it's just a matter of how stubborn and how dug in the sand uh are a couple of these conference commissioners because it has to be a unanimous vote right the only way this happens early is with a unanimous vote so every conference commissioner has to agree to say Yes, I'm with you on 12. And unfortunately, there's a couple, and I really don't totally understand why they think it's a better idea to fight this, insist on eight, or insist on specific details about automatic bids and everything else. Look, here's the bottom line, folks. We just had a year where three of the Power Five conferences didn't get in the playoff. Pac-12, going to watch at home. ACC gonna watch at home. Big 12 gonna watch at home. Do you really think if you're one of these other leagues that not expanding the 12 is a good idea? Because I'm going to tell you something, you you, you are really going to feel like you're on the outside looking in if they don't expand this and if you don't vote accordingly. Greg Sankey's not going to eight. That's all you need to know. If Greg Sankey doesn't want eight, it ain't going to be eight. So turn the page on that whole thing about eight. So now, do you want to keep it at four where the SEC will continue to dominate? That'll be the only league that ever gets two teams instead of one and will always have at least one, the only league that'll do that. Or do you say, you know what? I don't like every specific detail of this, but 12 is better for our self preservation and will allow us a better opportunity to be included in a playoff, which the benefits there are obvious money, exposure, credibility, recruiting. So I have to think common sense will prevail in the few naysayers that have been holding this thing up and they will vote yes on 12 and we will hopefully have that sooner rather than later. I'm hoping for 2023, my magical uh, college football utopia guys is that in 2023 is a landmark year and that tooth that major things happen. Expansion goes to 12 Texas and Oklahoma write a big fat check to the Big Twelve. They get the hell out of Dodge and, and stops, you know, sleeping on on the the couch of their ex girlfriend, and they just get out and move on and go to the SEC, which clearly is where they belong, since that's where they want to be. That's what I'm hoping 2023
2: will entail. Yeah, I, I don't understand the blowback again. It seems like uh, there's some contrarians out there just to be. Uh contrary, you know if Notre Dame didn't have a problem with the 12-team situation that basically shut them out of getting a bye every time unless they join a conference, everybody should just shut it. Um I uh I halfway understand the automatic qualifier uh thing, but uh look, man, uh, I I ran the numbers and went back using the BCS rankings, and there were very, very few years where a, a league was like kept out of the playoff, there were years their champion was like, in other words, there was an upset in the, in the title game, but but very, very few years did was there a bracket without a pact. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think at all. In fact, I don't, I don't even know maybe one year, like when the ACC, when Georgia tech beat wake when wake forest went, won the ACC that year, but it really, it really looked fair. And, and I think if you're going to include the group of five, Twelve is the way to go because man, they have a dream. Then they can get in, they can get two two teams in sometimes, Um, and uh, I don't know why they would fight it. Uh, You know, I I I I think that that's probably as cattywampus as it seems to go to twelve. The 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 fairest formula, Um, I think. There's questions. You know, where do you play these games? And that's a different debate. But You know, and and Mike, I didn't know that I would like 12. I knew I never would like eight. Uh, I kind of like four uh, or, heck, go back to the BCS for all I care. But, um, you know, 16. Pretend you didn't say that. But 12, you know, to me, 12, I mean, with the way they structured it and sort of the way it all comes together, you know, if you're going to include the group of five, that's the way to go. If not, get the group of five their own playoff. Because there's no other fair way to do it. Uh, Yeah. With eight and giving one to a G five, that's probably not deserving most years
0: uh, and that kind of thing. And they're going to be a sacrificial lamb for Alabama every year in in that format. I I was, I mean, for as long as this has been, well, for as long as I've talked into a microphone, uh, you know, from age 19 on and had the opportunity to discuss this, I've always thought eight was the magical number, right? So when I started hearing rumblings of 12, I was like, what do we need 12 for? Just, just eight, 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 eight. Uh, 12 is too much. 12 cheapens the, some of the regular season matchups. Let's not make this anything uh, more complicated than it needs to be. Give me five conference champions. Give me three wild cards and let's call it a deal. Then I must admit, when I saw the proposal for 12 and how they constructed it, top six conference champions that obviously would include a group five team uh, and top six wild cards. That made sense to me. And then f- the top four get a buy. And then I think what you need to do is have the first round on campus uh, sites. Everything's always better on its campus site than a neutral field. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, I'm not picky. Figure it out. But, yeah, I, I, I was never a 12 guy until I, I saw the what they came up with, and I was like, this is the smartest thing we've seen come out of these people in a long time, right? I get, usually I have very low expectations on something like this, but this actually made a lot of sense to me. Well, you actually uh,
1: think that maybe, Mike, you could get these
0: yeah. group of five teams in a game that gives them – a chance to win a game in the first right versus, well, because they know yeah because they wouldn't play the top four seeds right like assuming the group five team on a given year and it might be multiple let's say it's two of them and let's say they get the 11 and 12 slots well they're not going to play one through four because one through four has a first round by so the best team they'll play is five or six uh i you know i mean one of these cincinnati teams if they would have gotten the five spot yeah i think they could beat uh, excuse me, the twelve slot. Uh, yeah. I think they could beat you know, the five, the six, the seven. Absolutely. So I, I think, I, I think it almost makes too much sense, but I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Like I, if, if there's one guy who would, who has the right to fight all this, it's Greg Sankey. Cause Greg Sankey can say, Hey, the 14 playoffs been pretty damn good to us. It's been better for us than anybody else. It'll continue continue to be better for us than anybody else. I'm not going to budge. I'm staying with four, but Greg actually with Bob Bolsby and Swarbick and the guy from, what was the other conference, the mountain West, mm-hmm. uh, whoever he is, they all decided to come up with this pretty good plan of 12. So it's like, you, like go- you know, you know,
1: a third go. SEC team is going to get into 12. Well, sure. More, more years than not.
0: Absolutely. Most- oh yeah, of course I'm not stupid and neither is Greg Sankey. I mean, it's also going to be good for the SEC. This was not a, This was not a a magnanimous move where the SEC and Greg Sankey are saying, you know what, let's let's allow more inclusion for the little guys. No, of course what's good for business is good for the league. You represent four is good for the SEC and 12 would also be good for the SEC, but for different reasons, but I wasn't even convinced that Greg Sankey would ever budge on going above four when he did. And when he agreed to go to 12, I was shocked. I was like, wow, where has he been keeping that? Because he he never tipped his hand. He always was a 14 playoff guy. And obviously it's been working for the Southeastern conference, but now that he's agreed to go to 12, if you're one of the people voting, no, because I'm telling you, there's more powerful people than you that could just say, you know what, if you don't want it, go to the Mike and JC group five playoff idea. Cause you ain't going to have any part of what we're talking about. We, we got our own thing. We don't need you. This is not college basketball or baseball or wrestling where everything is under the NCAA umbrella and there's a lot more equity. And this is college football, man. The power want to stay powerful and they run stuff. So don't piss them off and we'll find yourself out in the cold. I agree. I mean, look, group of five. Look, I thought the twelve team playoff was
2: overly generous to the group of five because there are some years where they would have had two teams in the playoff instead of uh, this year where you're right, Mike. Had Baylor not stopped uh, Oklahoma State, the Cokes the are getting in over over Cincinnati, no question. So, look, man, I, I I don't I don't understand the angst and consternation over the twelve team. I thought that was like the the most inclusive model. Again, I was like you, I was like 12, wait, what? You know, but then I started reading it and I was like, you know what, uh, man, that could work, you know? And and, then so I don't understand people fighting back and the people that complain about the sec having too many teams in the playoff. Look, I would rather have to, I would rather make Alabama, uh, you know, uh, win three games, four games than than two. Um, you talk about your Clemsons of the world when they're rolling. You make Clemson go through three, four games after playing in the ACC all year, it's going to make it tougher. Uh, So your big tens, uh, you know, they're going to be a little more battle tested sometimes. And so there's nothing that says they can't get out there and get things done. I think it helps the uh, Pac-12 in terms of pair. Yeah. Yes. They they need to
0: be relevant again.
2: Because they knock each other off all the time. And then there's no room in a 14 playoff. But in a 12, heck yeah. And then those teams are battle tested. So, um, you know, you you tell me Pitt would beat Utah or Utah would beat Pitt. I I think Utah would beat the snot out of Pitt to honest honest right I now. do too but uh, so yeah I'm, I'm with you I think 12 is the good number that's the good stuff that's the good good stuff so uh, I, I don't understand the angst over it and the the, the complaining and, and all that I think a lot of it has to do with you know SEC jealousy a little bit but uh, hey that's one of those things uh,
0: well yeah I mean the, the, you're going to be more jealous of the SEC if it stays at four and the SEC has got one or two in every year and you're watching it at home Uh, the final thought on this is that if you take everybody's self-interest out of it, I do think, uh, the the, 12 team playoff is better than the bowl system we have now. I mean, what is going to highlight the stories of most of these bowl games? So I'll give you just a quick insight into my world. Friday, I'm going to Orlando. I'm doing the, the cure bowl. It's the seventh annual it's coastal Carolina, kind of the media darlings of a year ago, the Chanticleers taking on the Mac champion, Northern Illinois, Huskies. Now you want to know how I'm starting off that broadcast on Friday. I'm going to say, compared to a lot of the other bowl games out there, we've got three things. We've got no coaches that have already found another job and have left. We've got no players who have opted out because they're preparing for the NFL draft and they just don't care about this game. And we have no lack of motivation for either team that wants to win this game. Because for them, it does mean everything. But for so many of the bowl games that are going to happen in the coming weeks, you're going to see a power five school that had a disappointing year, that lost coaches, that has players that have opted out, and there is no motivation. That's not good for the sport. It's not a good look. So, with a 12 team playoff, every one of those games is ultra, ultra relevant and is good for the sport. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. Is it not? I mean, we want a really healthy postseason, and, and I think a 12 team playoff would certainly be healthy for that. All right. Uh, just about out of time. By the way, I, I did think about this JC as we, as we close and I know you're going to be getting primed for signing day in a couple of days. They're going to, they're going to lock you in a, in a basement with the uh, <laughs> internet, a phone, maybe some Uber eats maybe, I get some chicken wings. Yeah. That that's about it. But um, you're going to be covering uh, the recruitment of a lot of quarterbacks now too. many of which from California will no longer be defecting for the Southeast, but instead will actually stay at, at in state and play for Lincoln Riley. But how about this? I was watching the NFL yesterday um, and I'm watching what was one of the games of the day bucks bills, right? And everybody knows the Tom Brady story ad nauseum six round draft pick. He's the goat. And by the way, he's still one of the best quarterbacks today at 44, Josh Allen is the closest thing I've seen to John Elway in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. He, he threw for 300. He ran for hundred. He's big. He's got a cannon of an arm and he can outrun people. He's a freak. Uh, and, and then you take a look at, for my money, the, the other guy that's in that uh, elite group of quarterbacks is uh, again, no controversy here, Aaron Rodgers. And I started thinking for guys like you that, that have to cover this, Aaron Rodgers overlooked out of Chico, California had to go to Juco before he wound up at Cal. Uh Tom Brady overlooked sixth round draft pick too too slow to this to that uh not good enough to be a, a player at the next level and then I thought of um Josh Allen Wyoming Wyoming dude and even though he went in the first round I I heard a lot of people that don't want to admit who they are that basically told you that's a mistake if you take that kid he hadn't played anybody and his his final year he wasn't terribly good but those are the three best with all due respect to Lamar Jackson who's actually got to do something in the playoffs before I'm really ready to crown him as a top five quarterback those to me are the top three quarterbacks in the sport and they all were kind of overlooked Throughout parts of their career, so it's just a little food for thought during a recruiting week. Look at yeah, and, and quarterback is, is hit or miss,
2: guys. For every Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson and even Patrick Mahomes, you know, there's a Baker Mayfield, uh, there's a Kyle Trask, there's a Zach Wilson. Uh, and none of those guys were or, or Trey Lance. You know, none of those guys were highly recruited, and it, it's it's an interesting position. Uh, for a number of reasons, I I was lucky because uh, I worked with two guys, Charles Power and Jerry Hamilton, who were really daggum good at evaluating talent. That you know, we did not embarrass ourselves with Mitch Trubisky nor Joe Burrow's rating when I was actually in the thick of the ratings game. Just because they were Ohio kids, uh, when Burrow was a late take for Ohio State, Trubisky they passed on because they got J T Barrett but we were lucky that we kept them up there and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of people had Mark Marcus Mariota and Johnny Manziel, you know, three stars or whatever. So it is interesting. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think that, you know, if, if this report that I'm reading is correct and Spencer Rattler ends up at South Carolina, uh, we're going to find out a little bit about wow. the rankings because, you know, that's a, that's a different, uh, that's a Woj cast. bomb. That's a JC bomb
0: dropped yeah. at the end of the podcast.
2: Yeah, that's that's a little bit, I mean, you know, and, and then because Spence didn't really have such a good year this year. And so uh, what's he going to do with a different supporting cast and, and mm. outside of Lincoln Riley's offense. So, um, and uh, that's not a done deal, but uh, my guy that works for me on the big that covers South Carolina, just uh pass that along. So we'll see,
0: uh, see what happens there, but Shane Beamer doing some work there in Columbia, but uh, Michael, you got a, you got a bomb you want to drop here in the closing seconds of the podcast. Uh, I mean, I'm uh,
1: i I would be shocked. I mean, that's, I'm not used to South Carolina being able to pull this stuff off, but again, we haven't had a transfer portal open, uh, you know, for, for very long for this kind of stuff to happen. Um, But uh, I, I do understand that he's not the only transfer portal quarterback that South Carolina is going after. So I'm, I mean, not to, not to dig too deep in the weeds on it, on it JC, but yeah, if, if South Carolina gets Spencer Rattler, where does that put them in, in uh, contention for other guys say like uh, Max Johnson from LSU?
2: Yeah. See, well, that's, that's the thing. I, I don't think you take more than one. Um,
0: I'm getting both of those guys. Yeah.
2: nah, you're, you're not. Yeah. And Max Johnson, uh, South Carolina has been recruiting
0: him as well. Texas. A&M. Max Johnson's going to be in the NFL, by the way, just, just oh, I love just Max Johnson. Mark it down. Uh, you know. I, I did one of his games this year. That kid has got everything yeah, you yeah. want from the neck up and he's got the ability from the physical standpoint. He was just in a terrible situation this year. He's got wheels to 20, I mean, 27, Absolutely. T- 27 touchdowns, six interceptions.
2: Uh even in as best as, as rough as they were on offense at LSU this year, that yeah. was sort of staggering numbers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and he's and I'll tell you this, his brother Jake Johnson is a the number one tight end in the tight country, kind of high school. He's unbelievable. I mean elite. I mean, you I don't know if you guys ever saw Mark Andrews that played for Oklahoma. He's that kind of guy that you just uh, he, he runs like a receiver, but he's big the one in the
0: NFL right now. Yes, that dude <laughs> for, for Baltimore. Yeah, that absolutely. Dude. That's that's Jake Johnson. Uh, that's Lamar Johnson, former, Lamar Jackson's top target,
2: former uh Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson's kids. So, yeah, uh, um,
0: he's, he's you know. the real deal. Someone's going to get a good one with him. So
2: that's it. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, things like that are going to be interesting because some of these guys, these five-star guys that fans continue to chase and that, you know, everybody's all gaga over when they hit the portal – you know, they go into a situation that may be a little different. And, and, and the you know, my dad used to tell me about football. The cream always rises to the, to the top. Whether that's Josh Allen after Wyoming or Aaron Rodgers after Cal or Tom Brady after being drafted in the sixth round, this game uh, doesn't lie. Uh, right. you know, when you go out to play it, it, it tells the truth. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see how things like this end up working out.
0: It is fascinating. I, by the way, I've got the 49ers on Sunday. I just thought Jimmy Garoppolo. Here's another guy. There so you I'm go. Playing, I'm planning. E- Eastern, the, Eastern Illinois Panthers. I think Garoppolo, so. uh, was he? Yeah. And, and Flacco was Delaware. Delaware. So, I mean, you got one double, you got one one double eight quarterback starting in the NFL right now. Um, so it's it, to say it's an inexact science. How about be, old Tony Romo? He was another one of those directional he Illinois. was stars. another one, wasn't he Eastern Illinois? I believe, I believe Tony was Eastern Illinois, uh, either Eastern or Western. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Eastern now. Romo
2: was Eastern. Yeah. They both were Eastern. Cause, uh, I, yeah. uh, I, I had to learn about Eastern Illinois this year a little bit in their program. A lot of people, uh, you know, uh, Mike Shanahan was the uh, was the uh, uh, O.C. there back in the 80s.
0: How about that? Go Panthers. <laughs> anyway. Go Panthers, how about them apples? All right. Uh, well, we'll talk more about all this stuff next week. Uh, JC, you will have plenty of things to uh, throw our way after the, uh, the signing, early signing period uh, is conducted, and we'll have, uh, by that time, a few bowl games and who knows what other coaching news and transfer portal news and everything else. Going on. Michael, great job as always. Enjoy yourself in Nashville. JC, stay warm in Chicago. I am Mike here in Atlanta, and we say thank you for tuning in once again to JC and Morgan.